Welcome to Scratch on the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about expanding the definitions of architecture. On this week's episode, I am joined by Martha Thorne. Martha is currently the dean at the IE School of Architecture and Design in Madrid, and since 2005, she has been the executive director of the Pritzker Architectural Prize, a position that actually she'll be stepping down from uh, next month. Before both of these roles, she was the Associate Curator of Architecture at the Art Institute of Chicago. This episode was recorded at the end of last year, at the end of 2020, and she hadn't announced yet that she'd be stepping down from her position at the Pritzker. So we spent a lot of time in this conversation talking about this role and the Pritzker Prize in general. We talk about working with the jury, how the prize has evolved over the last decade, and even the role or the value of awarding prizes like this in architecture every year. We also talk about how this role, which is uh, actually a part-time position, intersects and influences her job as dean, working with, uh, in many ways, the next generation of architects and how, how those two positions sort of intersect and diverge from each other. In both of these positions, though, she's sort of forced to deal with the expanding and blurry definitions of architecture today. So it was fascinating to hear how she thinks about the state of architecture and where it might be going. Remember that Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listeners like you. Through 2021, we'll be releasing new episodes every single week. So if you enjoy this show and want to help support it and want to see it continue, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Episodes will always be free, but members get an exclusive monthly newsletter written by me, previews of the upcoming episodes and all sorts of other kind of bonus content. This show in so many ways is made possible because of this support. So if you want to be a part of that, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm. Thank you as always for listening. And here is my conversation with Martha Thorne. There's so much that I want to talk to you about, and I feel like there's so much um, kind of different areas that we could could discuss. But I think to help frame the conversation, I'd like to talk a little bit about your background and how you got into the career that you've had. And so you studied, your bachelor's was in something called urban affairs that, right. that you did from uh, State yeah. University in Buffalo, right? Right, that's correct. Um, and then you got a master's in city planning. You spent some time in London School of Economics. It seems to me that you kind of got into the architecture world through thinking about the city first and then kind of went into architecture. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what you were interested in when you were when you were in school and what um, what kind of career you were after or what what was kind of interesting to you at the time? Yeah, no, that that it it, it takes me back uh, a few <laughs> yeah. decades, but I, I, you know I think that and I think there may be some lessons to learn from uh, from my experience. At least I would hope so. Um, I, I when I went to college, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study, and I think back then is somehow similar to now that. Where young people are very idealistic, they want to make a contribution, they want to change the world. And I think my first thought was more in the field of psychology or social work. And I realized that um, I was too impatient to deal with the world <laughs> one person at a time. Right. Um, and I think that, that therefore the opportunity to look at cities, to look at communities was something that intrigued me. I realized that there were many facets, so therefore you didn't have to choose one. You could look at a phenomenon from different points of view. So that, that's how I became first interested in cities. Of course, I, I lived in cities, not as big as New York, smaller cities, but was always in the city and and so you could use your your hometown as well as a resource. I think going to London um, to look at town and country planning, um, in, and especially living in London, was a great opportunity to see the relationship between planning, between city form, and a city that had developed over history the way London had. So those were all, those were probably the reasons I became involved in cities. But after I finished graduate school, I moved to uh, Spain 
And that was for personal reasons. You know how Americans are always trying to find themselves. <laughs> yeah. So I moved to Spain and, of course, uh, wanted to work, wanted to be involved in, in the profession and realized that in a country like Spain, city planning is not a recognized degree. It's undertaken either by architects or by civil engineers. Mm. And I happened to move in the crowd of architects, so became much more involved with architects. And um, although I did work on a, on a project for a historic city, an inventory of a historic city in Spain, I worked on a project for a university master plan. After that, the opportunities that came my way were more related to um, publishing architectural mm -hmm. magazines or working with people who were writing and um, communicating architecture. So it, I would say I sort of got into architecture through the side door, but I, I do think that this is probably a tendency, um, maybe more for women than men. And I think it's more of the 21st century than maybe many, many decades ago. I think we're realizing that we need to be much more flexible. We can't always predict what the future will hold. And I also think our understanding of profession is changing. It's not the idea that you will have a job, the same job for 30 years, but you may want to change, try something five years. There's a shift in the context in your life, then do something else. So that's basically my story, how I, how I became uh, much more uh, closely involved with architecture and communicating and trying to understand architecture in the built environment. Yeah, and it's interesting to me, and 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 you confirmed a little bit of my theory of you, actually, in that our, um, obviously we grew up in different times in different parts of, of the country. I'm in graphic design, you were kind of uh, circling architecture, but my education experience and career was a kind of constantly expanding idea where I started with this like idea of the designed object. And then I was interested in the systems. And then I was interested in like, well, how does this affect people? And how does this affect the world? And it seems to me that you almost were a little bit opposite. You were actually interested in the workings of the city, of the people in the city before you started thinking about the buildings themselves. And you talked about kind of the split between the civil engineers and the architects. Do you have a sense looking back now what it was about kind of veering towards the architecture side? What what was it about buildings that kind of <laughs> captured you? Yeah, well, I think it's probably a few things. Um, if we go from the general to the specific, I would say the general is that Arguments about people, arguments about experience, arguments uh, or discussions uh, about a city in terms of governance, those are very sterile unless they're connected to a physical environment. We can't talk about urban policies unless we talk about investment in buildings and in infrastructure, uh, roads, energy, etc. And so I think that one, one thing is understanding that um, behavior, aspirations, um, all of the things that contribute to a city in terms of its uh, vibrancy, that happens within a physical environment. And to make the connection is probably a good idea. And then... And then the second thing I would say that, that got me more and more interested in architecture was understanding the process that architects follow and trying to understand that something beyond just the functional aspect of a building. So what, what can the building do to inspire people to become part of the collective memory what are what are the challenges that that architects are facing as they're designing buildings and as they're thinking about not only the the building maybe as object or the building individually but thinking about the context 
So I think that that second aspect um, was something that through my contacts and through my work and experience, I grew to appreciate. And now I think you can uh, see that I'm, I'm uh, enormously devoted uh, to architecture, um, the, the opportunities, the contributions it can make. And, um, and, and also um, communicating, not just to the general public through exhibitions, but to communicating to students, maybe to developers, uh, to people who work in the built environment um, and trying to find common ground for that appreciation of, of architecture. Yeah, and I want to I want to come back to that specifically, kind of in the work that you're doing now, both as dean at IU University of Madrid and also with the Pritzker Prize. Um, but you, you said something interesting in there and in your previous answer that I'm curious about. That very early on, you found yourself kind of getting pulled into publishing and writing and and things like that, and you were the curator of architecture at the Art Institute of Chicago for almost ten years. Did you have so this is a two-part question, and one of this, one of these is an easy answer. I just couldn't find it in my research. Um, did you, did you work as an architect first, and then two, did you have an interest in actually being a designer, or was it all? Did you always was it always about the kind of ideas of what the buildings can do? You know what I'm, you know what yeah. I mean. Yep. I would say it's always about the ideas yeah, because yeah. no, I, I didn't, I didn't train as an architect. Um, I probably can't draw a straight line. <laughs> I can read plans. I definitely can read plans. I can interpret buildings. I um, love to visit cities, visit buildings, go to museums, try to analyze the physical space, the activities and all mm -hmm. of that. But no, I, I never worked as an architect. Um, and it's funny because a lot of people who say, oh, I'm a frustrated architect, I'm not because I think yeah. I have the best of, of many worlds. I, I did work at the office of Juan Navarro Baldeveg um, mm. and supported him in, uh, especially when he was um, undertaking a project for Princeton University. Okay. But it was always from the sidelines, so to speak, or from yeah. the periphery of what the actual design process is. Um, but again, I think that uh, if we look at architecture as a profession, I think it's evolving. Not everyone is an architectural designer. There are so many roles and so many fields and so many um, uh, aspects to the profession that are super important. Um, so I, I think that uh, communicating for me was one and um, I, I'm never, I never felt frustrated not to practice architecture. I always yeah. felt really lucky to, to be there close to people who are practicing. Right. And you still got that by being close, you still got to be a part of that process in a way, which is kind of what you're talking about, you know, kind of helping you under, understand that. And that's exactly why I kind of asked you that question, because I feel like uh, design generally, but I think this applies to architecture also is that there is an increasing awareness that the practice or the profession is not just about buildings. <laughs> it isn't just about these objects that there is this kind of larger discourse around it now, which in a weird way is kind of what you've been a part of your whole career, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think if we, if we look at the profession of architecture and it depends, it's different in different countries and in different mm. contexts. Um, I, I think there is a lot of tension within the profession or maybe redefinition or yeah. trying to come to grips with what is exactly the role of an architect. Yeah. And I don't think there's one answer. I think there are probably multiple answers. Um, but I think we have to be able to discuss and value and appreciate those multiple answers. And, and especially if we look at our cities, how many buildings are built um, by builders, developers, how many buildings are undertaken by architects, 
what do we feel about the cities and our built environment? What is memorable? What is important to mm -hmm. us? And there's not one set rule, um, but I think uh, all of those things indicate that we, we have to broaden our understanding and our appreciation of the many roles of architects in the city today. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I agree 100%. And you, you've set up basically everything that I want to talk to you about <laughs> in that answer. Um, let's, let's, let's kind of talk about that in relationship to your role with the, the Prisker Prize, where you're the executive director. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have been since since 2005. And I'm before we do that, can you just for, for people that 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 maybe don't know, and even I'm a little bit unclear, can you talk about what it means to be the executive director? You're not you don't actually sit on the jury. Um, but what what is your role there? What how, how do you kind of sit between the family and the jurors and and the architectural profession? What do you kind of how do you kind of see that job? Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm in the best position if you yeah. if you ask me. <laughs> Um, my role is I, I do several things for the prize. One, perhaps, um, is the stability because jury members have a tenure of minimum three years. But of course, I've been there longer. So that respecting the processes and sort of keeping the stability of the prize is something that the executive director does. Um, mostly from mm. behind the scenes, and because you're right, I'm not a member of the jury. I don't vote. I don't have a voice or a vote with the jury, but my role is to assist them in any way that that uh, that I can and that they need. So assisting the jury is, um, uh, for example, the jury when. COVID is not around. We travel together um, mm. for about a week, a year to visit buildings in a specific context, in a place. Um, and so I help plan that trip or I plan that mm. trip for them based on where they would like to go. Um, I, I prepare the documentation for any meetings that they have. And um, then the other main part that I deal with that, that does help the jury is the nominations process. Um, the nominations mm. for the Pritzker Prize are open uh, to any licensed architect, but in addition to that, to receiving unsolicited nominations. I, I also send out um, about 200 emails every year and invite people from around the world journalists, bloggers, professors, architects, um, museum directors, people who have a love and an interest in architecture, I ask them to, I invite them to send me the name or names that they would like to suggest for next year. And, and that, that is something, it's, um, it's very interesting um, because I gather those names, I do research about the ones especially that are not well known. And um, I share those names uh, and information with the jury. I never share the source of the, of the suggestion or the source of the nomination. And I never tell them how many people suggested this person or that uh. person. So the jury gets a long list to know what the public is thinking, and they uh, then try to come to grips. And, and of course, the jury is the only, the independent jury um, makes the decision uh, about the winner. And, and I think it's really interesting because the, the Pritzker Prize, we, we often say it's like the Nobel Prize of architecture. Yeah. In, yeah. in some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. Um, but it is, it is for a person or, or people who work together. So it's in that sense, it's like the Nobel. It goes to, it goes to individuals mm -hmm. who um, embody excellence through the art of architecture and service to humanity. So mm -hmm. in, in that sense, um, it's very interesting to listen to the discussions of the jury as they talk about excellence, as they talk about what is the art of architecture, and as they discuss what is service to humanity. So 
those are the things I do. Plus, the best thing is I get to call the winner or winners and tell them <laughs> that they won. Oh, is, nice. Which is really wonderful. And of course, I, I represent the prize when need be and symposia or other places. I try to answer questions that come to me through email um, of all types. Um, I try to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's basically what an executive director does. I mean, so how do you, it's interesting to hear kind of how you sort through the nominations and that you reach out to people and kind of ask for, for nominations and, and then prepare that for the jury. And I'm, I'm kind of curious how you think about what we were just talking about, about this kind of expanding definition of architecture, this, how it, how there are different ways to think about architecture, um, how in different parts of the world architecture is thought of differently. How do you apply that to something like the Pritzker Prize, where it is one person <laughs> every year? And, and I'm, I'm I, how, how do you, how do you kind of, I don't know how to frame this question in the way I'm trying to say it. to say like this is the person who's representative of, you know who's deserving of the prize but also this is just one mm -hmm. one person mm -hmm. you know what I mean like how do you kind of think about that in collecting the nominations and then even when the jury's selecting yeah it's well in that sense I have to say frankly the jury has the the difficult um, the difficult task there because they're the ones who have to distill the arguments to create a, a meaningful message each year. And, and I think if we look back at winners of the Pritzker Prize, we can see that the message um, has different nuances and that it's not the exact same message every year, especially in these past 10 years. If we went back to the very beginning of the prize, back in 79, early 80s, and if we were to read the jury citations, probably back then they would be more similar. They talked about creativity, talent, maybe dedication, maybe innovation, sort of broad qualities to describe the person who won the prize that year. I think now if we look at the jury citations, the jury is talking about not only about the individuals and their wonderful human qualities or professional qualities, but they're also talking about that service to humanity or how, do, how does this architect fit within the bigger picture? What is the message that we want to communicate? So for me, you know, of course, I do this exercise individually, uh, not with the jury. And I, I do see that the context in which we practice or which I, in which architects practice does play a role. Um, if we look back, there was a time when architects or people who were making icons were the ones who were top of mind. Then with the recession in 2008-9 and the subsequent years, um, I think that made us all shift to think about architecture in a different way. And therefore, perhaps the prize reflected this understanding of a changing world. It's hard to tell exactly where the prize will go because, yeah. again, the jury changes slightly. They're very independent thinkers. Um, and I always, uh, I sort of go into the meeting thinking, well, I have an idea for this year. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever, I think maybe once or twice I've gotten it right in all these years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a very, very uh, exciting, intense, um, incredible uh, opportunity to be that fly on the wall listening to the jury yeah. members discuss. I mean, so I have two questions kind of around that. And one is you said kind of the criteria for the prize is the the art of architecture and then also the contribution or service to humanity. And I'm curious if you see those as separate things. And and can and this goes back to what you're talking about with the Starkitect, where it's like if you are designing this building that's like this gorgeous object but then 
you know, had unfair labor conditions or was harmful to the environment. Is that then still like, even though maybe structurally it's, it's beautiful or, you know, is a a breakthrough in, in architectural engineering or something, is it, it, can we still say that that is a good building if it, if it is somehow harmful to humanity? Like how do, how do those come together and where do they separate? I guess is the question I'm trying to ask. I, I, I certainly can't speak for the Pritzker jury. I, yeah. I can only, yeah, yeah. I can only speak for myself. In yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm, this. yeah. yeah. I, I think what we're faced with is it cannot be an either or situation. Right. Right. Um, the great challenge of architecture is to find the and, the intersection of both of those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on one hand, um, as I mentioned before, it's not enough that a building just be functional, just work really well or, or be super sustainable and ugly or, or something, <laughs> something like that or, 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 or not be able to last you know, if it's something that's beautiful the first day and, and that's it. Um, so I, I think that, you know, on one hand, we have the discipline of architecture where uh, architects have to contribute to the discipline, to, to that mm. core knowledge. They have to somehow um, honor the history of the discipline and also try to push it forward. But at the same time, they they have to be responsive to the world in which we live. Right. And I think that um, never in our history has the profession had such pressure um, as we have now. And it's been crystallized in something like COVID. I mean, where there's been pressure on the profession in the past, we could see um, certainly global warming, um, rapid urbanization, technology, migration, um, uh, human and man-made disasters, things like that we've seen. But now with COVID, it sort of has come home to each and every one of us how we are connected. And and we're connected not only uh, through our behaviors, but we're also connected through our built environment and how we use our built environment. So I, I'm someone who thinks that um, the service to humanity is is becoming, it's always been important, but it's becoming increasingly important to understand, to ponder, to measure. And um, it's calls for enormous responsibility on the part of each and every professional. And so I, I think it, it, it has to be both. Um, but you can't just, it's, if I can tell you an, an anecdote I remember. Yeah. Um, Shigeru Ban, um, who mm. of course won the Pritzker, and um, we, we were fortunate here in Madrid, he built a paper tube, a temporary pavilion, uh, for my university, and he was he was giving a lecture, and um, there was question and answer for the students afterwards. And one student said, "Well, well, uh, architect Bon, I I want to serve people. I want to help people. I want to uh, I want to make a contribution like you do. How can I be a good social architect?" And he said be the best architect you can first. Mm. Then you will find the way uh, to, to help people. So I, I think that's sort of the message. We, we can't have a goal of, um, uh, we can't have a goal devoid of the discipline of architecture just right. to help people. On the other hand, I personally don't think we can have a goal just of the uh, discipline or just the artistic side of architecture or just the cultural side. It's much more than that. I think you're right that there has been a shift in the prize over, over the last um, maybe decade at this point, um, away from the idea of the stark architect of, you know, kind of the, the, the icon and and that has been controversial, obviously, to some. I don't think we need to talk about. I think you've talked about that that enough. But I'm interested in how you think about the act of awarding a prize 
how you can subvert this idea of that this person should become a Stark architect or is a Stark architect or that this is some sort of hero worship. You know, how do you how do you kind of make the prize just as much about the person uh, as much as the person's ideas and uh, and work? Um, how do you kind of find that balance? Yeah, Jared, that's that's a really hard question, and I I don't, <laughs> I don't think I found the balance. But but let me let me take a stab. Okay. Um, okay. I I. I think that it is a good idea to reward people. I, I think that mm. we don't always have to, we don't have to look just at an invention, just at an idea. Mm-hmm. I think we can recognize um, human values. Um, when I think of um, uh, last year's or this year's Pritzker laureates, the 2020, when I think of the 2020 Pritzker laureates, Yvonne Farrell and Shelley McNamara. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only do I think of their ideas about architecture, but I I like to celebrate the fact that the way they practice is very collaborative. I like to celebrate the fact that they are very generous with their colleagues. They're generous with Mm -hmm. the community. Um, there are a lot of things about them as individuals that I think we should be applauding just as much as the buildings that, that they build or the communities that they, that they contribute to. Um, so I, I, I think there is human talent. There is a, a very unique aspects to each um, each architect's approach, and why not celebrate that? Um, on the yeah. other, on the other hand, the idea, and and it is true that sometimes we have this idea that the person uh, who becomes a celebrity then is a brand, and and we we stay in the surface of what that person uh, can do or can contribute. I would say sometimes that's okay um, if we want to if we want to call attention to uh, to a place if we want to call attention to a cause. Sometimes we do need celebrities because they they sort of get us uh, uh, to look at something or open our minds to something. The problem is when it stays there and it doesn't go deeper. I, I think architecture is not an easy field. Design is not an easy field to explain to people all the efforts that go into creating uh, a building, a design, a, whether it's graphic design, a website, or whatever. I, I think it's it's kind of hard to explain that. But um, so I would say I I I think we should recognize people, creativity, human effort. It can be role models for other people. It um, it gives people encouragement and power to be even more effective in their communities. Mm-hmm. But it cannot just stay at that superficial level or at a superficial level. We have to get into the message. What are they doing and how are they doing it? That makes a lot of sense. And, I, and just to be honest, I was asking that question very selfishly. And I, I didn't mean to make it sound like it was either or. But I think about that. I am in no way comparing this little podcast to the Pritzker Prize, but you know this is a series of long-form conversations with single people, and, and I think about that all the time. Of the episodes that are the best, begin with the person, and they talk about that person, but they expand into some larger idea, and that's always kind of what I'm after. And I feel like that's you know the kind of Pritzker Prize model also and I was kind of curious how you think about it I think that I think what you said makes a lot of sense no I was just going to say I I think the other thing and you maybe feel this in the podcast um when you're dealing with a subject that although on one hand it touches the lives of many people but on the other hand it's not something that enters into their daily conversations the question then becomes well how do I get there and how can how can I engage them in the conversation? Because I th- I think in the end um, 
that's probably probably what we all want. It's it's much more interesting for me um, when I think about buildings and places that are created with somehow public participation, not just because it's the right thing or it's the democratic thing, but it, it also means that when people embrace their physical environment, when they love it, that's when they mm-hmm. take care of it. That's when they appreciate mm-hmm. it. That's when it becomes something beyond just the functional building. That's what creates community. And again, I think because of COVID, um, this idea for coming together and feeling part of a community has, at least for me, has become more and more important than ever. Yeah. And that, that's actually a really nice way to, to transition into your other job, which I guess, <laughs> I guess we should say that the Pritzker Prize is really just a part-time right. uh, or like, you know, right. kind of a part-time role. Your main job is is Dean of the Architecture Program at IU University in, in right. Madrid. Right. And I'm, I'm curious how these two roles intersect for you and how they influence each other. I imagine... Um, you know, in a way you're, you're kind of working with jurors who are often kind of the top of the field talking about architects who are the top of the field or really kind of thinking about this. And then also working with students who are thinking about maybe similar questions at the beginning of their career. How do, uh, how do you see the influence kind of shifting between each of these? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting because you're right. The, the Pritzker, um, position is only a part-time. I say that's my (laughs) nights and weekends. role. Yeah. Yeah. And my my main uh, my, my main responsibilities are with the School of Architecture and Design here at IE, and um, we're a young school. We're 12 years old, um, but I'm I'm very proud of the the trajectory that it's had and where we are now and where we're going. I, I think if I look at how does the Pritzker play into IE and vice versa, it is kind of a symbiotic relationship. Um, I, I am able to look at what's going on in the world through the lens of some of the Pritzker jurors, through the nominations process. So that naturally keeps me in tune what's going on internationally. Um, IE is an international school, uh, so we have students from all over the world. And, and I think by realizing the broad scope uh, of, of architecture, how it's approached in different places, how the um, contexts are different, the challenges, um, the problems are different, um, I think that, that that symbiosis between Pritzker and school is it's, it's very direct and, and really good. Um, I would say probably in other ways, um, um it's interesting um in terms of the debates that the jury has mm. on one hand uh mm. about what they see as the role of architecture and um when they're talking about um potential winners of the prize uh it's also this what is the role of architecture in the world what is the role of education um, uh-huh. And those things are also they're they're very important to me, and I I'm I don't want to say struggle with those questions, but but maybe yeah. maybe I do struggle because there's no clear answer, <laughs> and um, and and it is uh, it's 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 a, I think it's a big a big responsibility just as the jury has to make a good choice that uh, that will be seen within the body of the Pritzker laureates as of that quality, of that um, level of uh, um, esteem. In, in education, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to um, impart and create knowledge for students today but will also have will also be relevant longer term, right. and so maybe that's a similarity between the prize and education. Um, I have to say that um, I, I I love being in the academic world. I find it 
fascinating to listen to students, what their concerns are. It's so stimulating to be in touch with the faculty members, um, their different areas of research and teaching. And I, I don't teach very much. I do team teach. Uh, mm. and, and I teach uh, a course with a colleague called You Are the Mayor. And we, okay. and we teach to mostly non-architecture design students. We teach to students oh. from the other four schools. Um, so in that sense, you know, it's, it, I'm able to um, expand uh, to this more transdisciplinary mm -hmm, space mm -hmm. with other students. So. Well, well, I mean, now I feel like I'm just going to ask you all the questions that I asked you about the Pritzker Prize for uh, <laughs> being in academia, which I won't, I promise I won't do that. But how do you, how do you think about that? Uh, that kind of transdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, this kind of expanding definition, multiple definitions of architecture. Um, and even, I mean, honestly, we could even kind of bring this back to that intersection of service to humanity and the art or act of architecture itself. How does that manifest itself in the school? You know, how do you, how do you think about teaching students Oh, and I'm, I don't mean like you personally teaching yeah. students, um, but the program teaching students like what they need to know to be a practicing architect, plus all that other stuff. Oh, <laughs> how, how does that happen? Yeah, yeah. no, the, the, this is um, the, this is a very interesting question. And um, and and I think that it's something that many, many schools of architecture and design are, are thinking about um, when when I look at the training for architects or designers, I think one of the greatest things that they have is the rigor uh, of the design process. So this, this idea of um, research, of formulating hard questions, of researching more, reformulating, and then imagining, then taking a step forward and imagining and correcting and um, this iterative process of back and forth, back and forth, I, I think that's a huge strength. And if we look at other professions, it's really quite unique to architecture and design. You know, it's not, yeah. it's if we look at medicine or we look at law or we look at um, economics, there are other pedagogical methods, there are other uh, types of training which are, are quite different from architecture and design. So I, I think our field is very, very fortunate because it has a pedagogical method that is very much relevant for today, but also for these expanding circles of other disciplines. Now, that said, I, I don't want to say that, you know, architecture is everything, design is everything. We also need the, the depth and the rigor um, that has always characterized the field of architecture or design, which is you have to know an approach, you have to develop an approach over years. There's lifelong learning, of course, in, in our field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also have to know skills. You have to know techniques and um, a lot of those things. So. Um, in that sense, I, I believe we, we have to find a balance between the deep understanding that comes with disciplinary studies. And, and of course, we're all subject to accreditation processes and things like that. But then again, when we look at the world today, more than ever, um, a transdisciplinary approach is not simply a collage or an amalgamation of subjects, but it is knowing how they interrelate. And, and, and this, is, this is where I think, I think things, are, things are going, um, just in general. Um, and we can look at different phenomena in society about this, you know, and maybe this is an example, maybe this is too much, but if we look at, for example, um, uh, Sidewalk Labs, a sister company of Google, which um, 
began by becoming interested in presenting a proposal in Toronto. Well, is Google a technology company? Are they a city company? What? So there's a blurring there. I mean, that's that's just that's an example. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's yeah. a, a little bit too direct, but it's an example of that. Um, I think we see it in our in our daily lives. We can't say, um, uh, for example, um, sustainability is related only to the built environment. Of course not. It's related to economics. It's related to social life. It's related to technology. It's related to many things. So right. to try to put things back in boxes or silos doesn't seem to respond to reality, and it doesn't seem to be a way that's particularly relevant for the future. So mm -hmm. in that sense, I think, you know, at IE, we try to um, foster the um, academic excellence within our field, but then either through workshops, through how we approach project-based learning, um, through different studies that, that we do. In the course I teach, you are the mayor. Absolutely transdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. Lots of group work where people in the teams have to understand the vocabulary of their colleagues, students, and develop a common project together. So I, I'm, I'm really a, quite a defender of this cross-pollinization and... Um, and I, I hope and I believe that it will then allow students to transform themselves over the lives of their careers. I would be remiss if I said, oh, my job is so the students have, uh, my, have a, a position at a company tomorrow. And mm -hmm. 10 right. years down the road, we're, we're, we're obsolete. No, that's... Yeah. We, we, we have to... We have to think about the short, medium, and long term, and um, hopefully awaken curiosity and and that yeah. desire for lifelong learning. I have I have just a few questions to to wrap up the conversation. I want to go back uh, to the very beginning to something that you said when you were talking about you know kind of falling into architecture and then into kind of publishing and 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 content and and talked about um, kind of like women in the field of architecture. And I, I want to know your thoughts on women in architecture and specifically something I've been thinking about. And, and as I was thinking about the Pritzker Prize, and I know that that's um, the, 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 the uh, disproportionate amount of men who have won that than, than, women and the amount of women who are kind of running architecture studios and architecture firms. And it's the same thing in graphic design where there was a study uh, maybe last year or so that was about how many creative directors in graphic design and advertising agencies were men. Um, and, and that was, it was like 80, 90%, something like that. And something that's interesting to me, and I, I suspect this is similar in architecture is most of my students are women mm -hmm. uh, and and they are looking at a field where the top people in the field are m more often than not men. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is the people leading the schools, leading the institutions are also women. And so I'm, I'm curious, I think about like, you know, all the, all the architects, you know, the, the amount of, of men architecture men run architecture studios but then you have uh i mean yourself as mm -hmm. as dean at ie you have sarah whiting at harvard you have deborah burke at yale you have Amal Andros at columbia um what uh, what's that disconnect like why what <laughs> do you have thoughts on that i don't know if yeah. i have a more intelligent question yeah. than that but that, that strikes me as something kind of fundamentally uh something is is um not lining up there for some reason right um, I, I think you have to look at when women became deans of institutions, academic institutions. Um, it's rel relatively recent. 
lady. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I think Sarah is the Sarah Whiting is the first female dean in the history of yeah. Harvard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, so, so I think that uh, the the profession of architecture and maybe design. I, I haven't looked so closely at the design because it's a much broader field in some ways. But it it has traditionally it has a history of being male dominated. Um, yes, we do have more women uh, students in most all of my of uh, the programs at my school, um, with the exception of real estate development. We have a master's, which is real estate development, based on the concept that um, developers today are city makers. And so to understand mm -hmm. the broader context, the value of uh, city infrastructure, policies, um, architecture, etc. There we have 50% of the faculty are women, but only about 20% mm. of the students are women. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So when I look at these things, I think um, talking, speaking specifically about uh, the field of architecture, it, it has a lot to do, uh, on one hand, with the history. It has to do with the structures that are still in place yeah, at, yeah. at offices, at academic institutions. Um, it's, it's hard to break those structures. Uh, we need to raise consciousness on the part of people so they don't feel threatened by changing behaviors. They, they feel mm -hmm. that it's something very positive. But I think the big thing, and this is a very personal opinion, the big thing in the field of architecture and related industries is who controls the money. And where money is controlled by banks, by funds, by developers, there still is in these, uh, in these sectors or these industries um, uh, a barrier to women um, there's a lot of the uh, old boys club about how yeah, decisions yeah. are made. Um, there are um, there's an emphasis on a feeling of trusting people who are like you, uh, right. and and so it's not as it's not as uh, seen as objective as as other fields. Um, so I, I think that said, women still have a long way to go. Um, I think we have to we have to do a lot uh, to not only support women in in education. We I'm constantly uh, reminding people that equality comes from big steps, but also from little steps. And, and those little steps can be something like just checking the bibliographies that you're using in a course. How many, how many women authors are there? It can be when someone wants to invite a guest lecturer or a special, uh, an, an, uh, someone to give a special class. Uh, and it's saying, well, let's invite a woman or equal numbers of women and men. I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, whether it's in academia or in private industry, well, I'd invite a woman, but there aren't any. And 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 the the problem then becomes it's there are women, there are incredibly talented women, but many people don't know them. So when that happens, um, I, then I think what we have to do is women in, in the field, in academia and in industry, we have to raise our voices and promote other women. We have to make databases where, we, where people who say, oh, I don't know any women, go to this place. Here's a lot. Um, and, and I think that um, it's interesting because I also believe that women have a different way of, of communicating than men do. Um, I'm, I have no qualms about writing to female colleagues from around the world, people I've never met, um, and having uh, the confidence that they'll answer me. I have many people write to me or call me, uh, women uh, with 
sharing an article, asking a question. Um, and we do this in a different way, maybe than, mm. you know, maybe we don't go to the golf course or the tennis <laughs> So, so I think, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to say it's a question of time because it's more than just a question of time. We have a lot of work to do um, mm -hmm. within our professions, within our institutions. But I think we have to really look at the industry surrounding them and, and, and require them to change, require them to change Women need to be on the boards of directors of companies, not just the token. They need to be there in full force. And only when that happens um, will we be able to see women uh, represented in the percentage that, that they deserve in, the, uh, in, in positions of responsibility, in architectural firms, in, in other places. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, you're exactly right. And I think for me, and it's the same in graphic design too, that that the directors of many of the graphic design, many of the big graphic design programs in the United States are, are women and, and that and seeing that in architecture and, and the amount, you know, of students makes me feel like, you know, I, I think the way you said it, it's like, a, it's, there's the big steps and the small steps feel like, you know, we're, we're on those, mm -hmm. on those steps, uh, in some way. Um, my, my last question, uh, and this is the question that I used to end all of these conversations. I'm just, I'd love to know what you're reading right now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't remember the title of it. I'm reading a novel, um, which is uh, it, it's set in uh, early 20th century. Oh goodness, I'll have to send you the name of it, Jared. Because okay. I, okay. I I can't uh, I can't even remember the name of it. This is terrible, and it it is um, it's sort of a it's it's a story and it's a reflection on different characters and how their lives uh, transpired based on previous events. And they mm. seemed like sort of a random event. Somebody fell down the stairs and broke a leg, and so then the daughter had to care for the mother, and so that meant that she couldn't go on a trip, and that meant something else. Oh, so it, it's really interesting uh, to me. I mean, it's something that, that I'm enjoying very much, because on one hand, it reminds me that we have uh, uh, we have choice, we have mm -hmm. influence, we have agency uh, uh, in our own lives. But then it's not a hundred percent that way. Uh, we also uh, are being pushed and pulled by yeah. by the situations around us and and i guess maybe this is more poignant for me now because i feel very pushed and pulled by COVID. <laughs> yeah 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 as, as we all do oh goodness but i think um yeah to uh, to escape in 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 a novel which is something that i'm usually reading um books about the city or architecture or um, yeah. designing uh, sustainable things or, but no, I'm, I'm really enjoying, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying escaping to a novel, which is in some way, it's a luxury to, to pause uh, because I think day-to-day -day life now for all of us is, is, um, is not the easiest time, whether we realize it or not. It, it is a, a much more stressful time than, than we had anticipated having. So, um, but I will send you, I will send you the name and the author. Oh goodness. Now I'm embarrassed that I can't remember. <laughs> oh no, it's okay. You are not, you are definitely not the first person who has done that. So send it to me and we'll put a link on the, on, in the show notes. So, so people can, can get to it. It sounds, it sounds interesting. And I'm, I'm, I am with you. I have read over the last couple of years, my, my reading habits have shifted to much more fiction. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this year, especially, it's, it's almost impossible for me to, to read something out. Like, I, I just kind of need that fiction as an escape. So I, I think you, <laughs> I agree with you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, 
Martha, this was such a, a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed this and, and really appreciate how you think about what are really kind of complex issues facing architecture and design today. And I think um, really appreciate your, your really kind of nuanced and thoughtful um, kind of approach to it. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, Jared, it's been a pleasure. You had uh, great questions and I, I applaud the work that you're doing to um, help people share ideas and, and encourage others to enter the conversation. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. This episode was recorded on October 26, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.